Good morning, church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your continual guidance and love for us. We pray right now, Lord, as we enter our time of worship, that your Holy Spirit would enter every home, penetrate every place that is turned into a sanctuary right now, so that as we worship you, we'd be so fully convinced of your presence in our lives and that we have spent time with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I am wondering uh, if anybody here has ever uh, met or knows uh, twins. Uh, yeah, raise your hand. I can't see your hands out there, but, but I know some of you are raising your hands. In fact, I think at some point all of us have either known or met at least one set of twins. And I was doing some research, and uh, some of it is anecdotal from my own experience, and some of it has been on, uh, online. Uh, and one of the more fascinating observations associated with twins is that they share this special, if you notice this, they, sh they sh share this special connection beyond that of ordinary siblings. If you know twins really well, you'll notice this about them. While the twin bond is, uniquely, is a unique relationship, sometimes it almost appears as if they have this extraordinary, almost telepathic type of quality. Now, there is no scientific proof for this, but you'll notice that uh, when you meet them, when you talk with them, they, you'll notice that they will often perform similar actions uh, when they're apart. For example, they'll buy the same items, they order the same meal at a restaurant. They often speak simultaneously. I've seen twins actually finish each other's sentences at times. They seem to have this deep emotional connection, this strong empathy for each other. I've known several twins uh, through my life as a teacher, uh, working for academies, and one specific set of twins that I want to talk about, their, their name were Vivian and Victoria, and we'll have a photo come up here. And they shared some experiencing of, of experiences of, of sensing each other's emotions. Uh, in fact, I texted Victoria. style. Then she writes, on another occasion, I had a dream. The exact same night, Vivian had her first child, her firstborn, Orion. I was dreaming that I was there and worried about my sister Vivian being in labor. And then I woke up, and I immediately texted Vivian, and bam, she says, I was dreaming about her labor while she was actually in labor. Those kinds of uh, anecdotal moments happen quite often with twins, more so uh, with uh, identical twins, but it also happens with fraternal twins. They have this bond. I mean, if, if you ever, uh, by the way, if you ever try to cross one of them, they will come and defend the other like crazy. Now, we knew these other twins, uh, sisters, they were the Panucho sisters, and uh, boy, I tell you what, if at any point you crossed one of them, the other one would come to the defense. Now, maybe part of it was because they were Italian. I don't know. 
But I can tell you this, that they were very, very defensive of each other. I love that about them. Uh, I've read that they have been shown to begin interacting in the womb as early as 14 weeks. Think about that. As early as 14 weeks, they are interacting with each other in the womb. Experts list some things that twins hate to hear, and I know this because I've experienced this. For example, don't ever say to a twin, if I pinch you, does your twin feel it? Or, uh, by the way, which one of you is older? Oh, they hate that one. Do you do everything together? And then this one here, I thought you were a package deal. But the one they hate the most, and this was so surprising to me, is if anybody ever says, I like you better than your twin. Now, this one is so puzzling to me because if you listen carefully, it didn't say, uh, I like your brother or sister better than you. I like your twin better than you. No, it said, I like you better than your twin. They hate that. They don't like to be compared, whether it's favorable or unfavorable. Like them, uh, they, they, they love to stick up for each other. I like twins because they have this quality that is totally opposite of the quality that we've been talking about for the past five weeks. And the quality that we've been talking about is a negative quality. It's called the us and them quality. But these examples tell us that twins, for the most part, for the most part, have an us quality, period. Even though they celebrate each other's individuality, they do it together. I want to share with you, though, about some famous twins in the Bible that that wasn't the case. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to read verses 21 through 28. And uh, Isaac, the promised son of Abraham, marries Rebekah, the story tells us. And uh, she gets pregnant, and she has twins. Uh, in fact, she says, uh, Isaac, it says in verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Now listen to what it says immediately. The babies, plural, the babies jolted each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? Remember we talked about how they have interaction as early as 14 Weeks? Well, this is, this is kind of a weird interaction. They're jousting each other, it says. Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, right before they even come out, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. The Bible says when the time came for her to give birth, there were twins, twin boys in the womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, or Esau, which means hairy. 
Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. God bless him. The boys grew up, the Bible says, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had the taste for wild game, loved Esau. Catch this now. This is so important. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob because of the promise that God had given her. And so here begins the seed of rivalry, the me against you moments. Two brothers, twins, that should have enjoyed a life of full of fraternal camaraderie. Two brothers that should have celebrated each other's achievements, that should have championed each other's distinctive gifts. Two brothers that could have been enriched by each other are suddenly set up for failure. Favoritism and partiality will always lead to feelings of injustice. Let me repeat that, especially if you're a parent and you have children. My, my mom and dad had five of us. I got to be honest with you. I don't remember ever a time where any of us or anybody was favored over the other. They were amazing at this. We were all equal. We were all extremely different from each other, but we were all equal in their sight, which I thought was amazing. But favoritism and partiality will always lead to this sense of injustice, polarizing, yes, even twins, gener generating hostility, creating distrust, competition, and the us and them mentality. And so here you have Jacob, and here you have Esau, and now suddenly these two brothers that could have been amazing together are at odds. All because it's mom and I versus you and dad. Mom and I versus you and dad. <clears throat> I'm going to share with you as we, as we finish this series some practical things, some elements that we should be avoiding. Elements that are the us and them trap. And we've just looked at the very first one. And that very first one, uh, be careful here because you can easily miss it. That very first one uh, goes like this. When others influence the side you take. When others influence the side you take. Favoritism. Creating this hostility and competition. Leading to this kind of sense of, of, of a social group pressure. And we know that this is true. We know it today. In fact, now during the elections... We're talking about the, the fact that, that there are foreign countries that are trying to impact our elections because they know, they know that these types of things impact and make us, instead of being us and us, it makes us us against them. And that's all they care about. There was a famous psychological experiment uh, that I heard about when I was in school, and it was called the Robber's Cave Experiment. And these uh, campers were sent to this camp uh, in a remote 
place in Oklahoma. It was actually called Roberts Cave State Park. There were 22 of them. 11 went with one group, and the other 11 went with the other, and they did not know that the other existed. The only ones that really knew about the experiment were the parents and the experimenters. Two separate groups at the same place, just in different sections, without knowing that the other group existed. And so they began to spend some time together within their group, and they began to build a camaraderie amongst themselves. In fact, uh, they chose names for their groups. One group chose to be called the Eagles, and the other group was called the Rattlers. And, they, and again, neither one of them knew the other one uh, really even existed. But after a short period of time, and again, this was all about the experiment, which probably wouldn't happen today these days, by the way, the boys became aware that there was another group at the camp. These experimenters kind of made it so that that would happen little by little. And so uh, the, the experimenters decided to uh, set up some competitions between the groups. Uh, tug of war, basketball, uh, races, all kinds of stuff. And it was, at first, fun games, but the relationship between the two groups quickly became more and more tense. And there was definitely, all of a sudden, an us-and-them mentality. In fact, it got to the point that they started trading insults. Conflict quickly spiraled. Uh, there was one point, I remember reading uh, about this experiment, that they, they actually burned each other's flags. Hmm. So, um, the experimenters tried to say, okay, what will it take now to reverse this affection that they have for their own group and, and to change the conflict between how do we How do we reverse this conflict between them? And so they brought campers together, and they said, you know, uh, tonight we're going to have a movie night, and we're going to share a meal together. And uh, sure enough, at first it was pretty good. I was, okay, no problems, but... Guess what happened? The meal turned into a food fight. Next, the experimenters artificially created problems that affected both teams. They staged a food delivery truck that was stuck in mud. Now, this was all staged. And they basically said, hey, listen, we're going to need all 22 of you to come and help pull this truck out of the mud. And so they gave them ropes, and, and the 22 had to work together to pull the truck out of the mud. Well, sure enough, they got to do it, and, and it helped a little bit. And the next thing happened is that, that the water tank somehow surprisingly stopped working, again staged, and they said, we're going to need you guys to come together and try to fix this thing, and here's the tools, and here's what we need, but we all need to do it. You're going to have to hold this, and you're going to have to do this, and you're going to do that. And they all began to work together to fix, and eventually, working on these shared goals, it began to reduce the tension. And after a while... They actually began to interact together and requested to spend more time together. So what they needed was to, once they, were, once, they, once they had become us and them, they needed to do something together to bring them back together again. I believe that's why God gives us the privilege of sharing the gospel to others. Because he knows that we are so susceptible to the us and them trap 
that when we start working together to win others for the kingdom of God, we not only expand the kingdom of God, but we also get a chance to, to put aside our differences for a much greater cause. There's been movies about this. And uh, the experiment ends with them taking the bus home together, by the way, which was kind of interesting. So to avoid the us versus them mindset, we've got to be aware of these, these traps, the specific trap of social pressure. The enemy is experimenting with us. The enemy is experimenting with us. He's trying to figure out what's it going to take for me to divide them because I know that the greatest example of God's glory is when these people are united. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I've got to figure out how to change this and how do I do this? And so he has his own robber's cave experiment going on. Hey, listen, just so you know, I, I, it, it is imp- I believe with all my heart that it is important to stand for something. So do not misunderstand what I'm saying next. I believe with all my heart that, is, that there, there, there's this natural want to belong. I, I get that. We want to belong to a group. It is great to have a flag to wave and to be proud of it and what it represents. But I think as believers, we must realize that our most essential banner is Christ's banner. Christ's banner, bearing the divine credentials of love. I want to be known, first and foremost, for being a Christian. I want to be known, first and foremost, for being a Christian. Then, I want to be known as an American patriot. I want to be known, first and foremost, as a Christian. And then, as a fanatical soccer fan from Italy. I want to be known first and foremost, as a Christian, and then as an Adventist or a Baptist or a Methodist or any other kind of ist that's out there. And I think one of the greatest tools that the enemy has been using, and I see it getting worse and worse and worse, is this dividing, this, this, this polarization, this us and them. I read this poem once, and I love this, and it's really... Short, but right to the point. It says, may the Christ in me meet the Christ in you. May the Christ in us bring us to oneness and the unity of the Spirit that testifies to the world that we are the children of God. Sometimes we forget the same Christ that is in me is in you. And we're together in this on this journey. Let me share with you a couple of other elements that I think are important to, to be aware of. Let's go back to the story of, of Jacob and Esau, Genesis 25, verses 29 through 34. This is an interesting moment that happens as the competition flares. It says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, stew, this is not gnocchi, This is not great ravioli. This is not some amazing, you know, broiled chicken or something. No, this is just 
stew. That's all he's doing. He's cooking stew. Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And Jacob replied, instead of saying what a brother should say, well, sure, of course, let me share with you. No, Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Many of you know this story really well. First sell me your birthright. Like for some stew? Yeah, sell me your birthright. And Esau says, look, I'm about to die. Man, he is really famished. I mean, that's really hungry, isn't it? Anybody ever been that hungry where you think you're about to die? Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he actually swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. Here's the bread too, you know. He ate and drank and then got up and left. And then it ends with these words, so Esau despised his birthright. He took it for granted. I'm going to go on a limb here and say this is probably the worst deal in the history of humanity. To sell your birthright. Your birthright back in those days was status, your birthright was uh, wealth, your birthright was blessings upon blessings. I mean, this was big. This wasn't just like, okay, now, you know, you're the first child. No, this was huge. And he sold it for a pot of stew. But don't miss the next appalling elements that create a us versus them mindset. So you have Jacob, catch this, and as I mentioned these, think about them within the context of our present world. Here is Jacob crafting an unfair advantage to secure status. And then there's Esau, who forfeits his right to his valuable birthright for the temporary satisfaction of being fed that inevitably leads to resentment. So let me just list these so you understand them within the context of as elements that impact our us versus them mentality. The first one is favoritism. And favoritism creates hostility and competition, which allows, number two, this sense of social pressure that shapes our values. And this is where I get really, I, I'm so passionate about this. I, I I talk about being proactive rather than reactive. And the way you become proactive is you, be, you decide what are your top core values in your life. And you live by those. But there are so many people today that end up becoming puppets to circumstances, puppets to other people. And they allow other things and other people to shape their values. And number three is using an unfair advantage to secure status. And number four is making decisions, decisions excuse me, that we regret and then cause us to resent and fuel anger. Now, I think you and I know that the forces that shape these elements are all part of the result of a fallen world. 
We live in a world that constantly pulls us towards artificiality, superficiality, and convenience. We live in a world that the moment that sin entered this world, we were filled with insecurities. Insecurity that induced experiences uh, such as being ridiculed. Suddenly realizing that, that, that you love to walk and you love to talk and you love to do things, but now you're being graded for it. And so now there is competition. Your status is threatened. There's these feelings of inadequacy. I meet people every day that deal with constant insecurities, and they are, we are great at masking our insecurities. But it is those insecurities that fuel this us-versus-them mentality. And then, then we have this personal bent toward self-preservation and, and, and the desire to climb higher and higher. I like to remind you of the Tower of Babel, what happened when people began to try to climb higher and higher and higher. You get so high until God knocks you off your high horse. Well, the story of Jacob and Esau is filled with amazing drama. We don't have the time to go through it all. But Jacob manipulates and steals the blessing from dad. Isaac is deceived. The story tells us that Esau despairs, he's furious, that the resentment fuels this anger, and he purposes to kill Jacob. And us versus them is at a peak in the story of twins. And Jacob is on the run, and on the run, and on the run, and on the run. He's on the run 20 years, 20 years because of this. 20 years of having to learn from the difficult master of experience. 20 years learning the hard lessons of life. He himself, we are told, experiences deception and subterfuge. He himself experiences being deceived. And he ends up marrying twice when he only wanted to marry once. And he ends up having many sons. And throughout his journey, throughout these years, he experiences heartbreaking moments. And yet he also experiences the the presence of God, and he knows that God, even though he's done this, does not forsake him. And at one point in the story, he is guided by God to return to his homeland. And as he's making his way home, he's thinking, what about Esau? (laughs) What about my brother? What's going to happen now? It's been 20 years. How big is his grudge? How big is his army? The Bible tells us that on the way to see Esau, he literally wrestles, literally wrestles with God. It's a wonderful story. Read about it in Genesis. And he is given a new identity, a new name, in fact. He's given the name Israel, from which the nation of Israel comes from. Genesis chapter 33, 1 through 4, I would say this is one of the most heartwarming moments in the Bible Read it with me. It says, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. It's like, okay, man, if we divide, some of us, some of us will survive. He puts the female servants on their, and their children in front, Leah and the children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself goes on ahead. He's like, all right, 
I'm going to lead the charge here, but I'm going to do it with humility. And he says, and it says this, he himself goes on ahead and bows down to the ground seven times, which was a, 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 an intense symbolism of humility. Seven times as he approaches his brother. But Esau, here it is. I remember the first time I read this. I didn't grow up reading this as a child, so I read it as, as an adult. I remember the first time I read this. I had tears in my eyes. I did not expect this. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. Hmm. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like? To weep together, these twins that connected in the womb and then were separated by all this insecurity and all this stuff. 20 years of running and 20 years of all this going on. I mean, how bad must have been? And this moment where they get together after 20 years, and instead of fighting, they embrace. I love it. I love it when God turns us versus them into us united. <clears throat> Unfortunately, history reveals that the damage made by the rift between Esau and Jacob, although was healed between the both of them, while they were alive, ended up echoing for many centuries later as they descended, as their descendants fought. And Esau was known as the people of the Edomites, and, and you'll see uh, battles between the Israelites and the Edomites all throughout the book of Kings. Now, I cannot help but think about this. Imagine how things could have been different. Imagine how things could have been different if mom and dad had treated them differently. Imagine how things could have been different if they had set out to work together. And as we end this series, I want to look at one more passage that I hope becomes a passage that inspires us to live up to its model. And it's found in the book of Joshua, as God led the Israelites to the promised land under the direction of commander Joshua, a faithful Joshua, and they're about to overtake the city of Jericho. It's a great, great moment. This was to be Joshua's crowning victory. And right before the battle, this happens. Now, don't miss this. If you've missed everything else in this, in this sermon, don't miss this next part, because this is, this is really unbelievable. In Joshua chapter 5, 13 through 15, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, so he's, he's, he's near Jericho, he's waiting, he's scouting it out, figuring out what to do. It says he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Apparently this man looked very intense. This man seemed formidable. This man seemed like, boy, I hope he's on our side. 
In fact, Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Us and them, right? Are you catching this? Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. It's almost as if, uh, some scholars say, it's almost as if, you know, if you've ever asked somebody, uh, would you like uh, uh, some uh, juice or some water? And the guy says, yes. <laughs> you ever had somebody answer you like that? This is really kind of like the way this being, I'm going to call him right now, answered. Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And immediately you get a sense of who this being really is. This is Jesus Christ. And he's basically saying, I'm not taking sides, but one side. God's side. In fact, we know that this was a divine being, that this was Jesus, because it says Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have, was my Lord have for his servants? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Uh, and Joshua did so, just kind of like Pastor Larissa does when she preaches. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. I love this. Neither. I have no country but heaven. No flag but the kingdom's flag. No side but God's army. No ground but holy ground. And I hope that today you and I will adopt this mentality when people say, well, are you on this side or this side? And we say, neither, I'm on God's side. Because I believe that that's what Jesus would ever say. You know, I have to be honest with you, we've been talking about this for the past five weeks, and, and part of it is because I'm worried, I'm scared, but, but I do want you to know that as I worry and as I'm scared, I, I think about this church, and I am thrilled with our church. I, I think Richland is on the verge of something really grand. We have the privilege of being part of a shining, inclusive community. A community that transcends generational boundaries. A community that rises above the walls of racial, national, gender, and economic prejudice. That's what I think makes us such an awesome church. I think that's what people see when they come in. They, they sometimes can't even put it into words, except for what they say, well, it's such a friendly church. Well, it's not just that we're friendly but we say, come as you are, leave inspired. We are accepting. When you come into our church, there's no sense of us versus them. We are a community of oneness that is radically committed to each other, non-judgmental, generous, with a strong sense of mission and focus. I had a friend that was really into the science of, of light photons. And he try, I try to have conversations with him just to connect with him, but boy, he was way above me. He had a scientific mind. He asked me once, have you ever wondered what makes the difference between a spotlight and a laser beam? 
He says, you know, Serge, how does a medium-powered laser burn through steel in a matter of seconds while the most powerful spotlight can only warm it up? He says, do you know that they have the exact same amount of photons? And I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, sounds good. And then he says these words. Both may have the same electrical power requirements. Both may have the same amount of photons. But the difference, Sergio, that in the laser, those photons unite. He started explaining to me how this worked and, and how, how the, the, the science of, of laser-like focus could, causes these photons to kind of tickle each other and kind of, be, kind of work and come closer and closer together until they become this amazing force. So here's my challenge. Will you, church, commit with me to the relentless pursuit of kingdom laser-like focus? Will you commit with me to be used by God to do some penetrating surgery in every heart and uh, everyone that we lock eyes with, that we come in contact with? May those who meet us as, as, as members of the Richland Church, may, may they never ever experience an us versus them attitude, but may they always see us as under the banner of Jesus Christ. And may our love for each other and for everyone, may our acceptance of those around us be something that glorifies God in amazing ways. I believe that with all my heart. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for inspiring us to do this series, Lord. Thank you for the story of Jacob and Esau and, 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 and the warnings that we can gain from them. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful encounter that Jericho had with you, that Joshua, rather, had with you on the way to Jericho. Thank you that you have written this down so that we have this model, this example. And when we are asked whose side that we're on, that we say we are on either side, we are on God's side. That's our side. Thank you, Lord. Please, Father, I beg of you, help us to be this way always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have an awesome, awesome Sabbath church. We will see you next week. God bless.